Diaz and Brother Luke Levine have been able to be with us here today. Brother Luami Diaz is going to come and preach the word of the Lord to you. Let's receive Brother Diaz in Jesus' name. Come on and give a hand clap offering unto the Lord. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifices of praise unto God. That is the fruit of your lips, giving thanks unto his name. Could you do that right now, the fruit of your lips? Let's give him a little thanks in this house. We love you, Jesus. We exalt your name. We magnify you, O oh God, for you are an incredible God. Amen. Amen. It is so good to be back in Cincinnati, Ohio, and uh, at Tree of Life here tonight. I absolutely love you and uh, love this church. It is uh, one of my favorite churches to come to. And may I just say that I say that a lot, but I don't mean that a lot. <laughs> I do mean it when I come here. <laughs> Amen. Amen. Uh, and uh, it's, it's, it's very, very good. I absolutely love everything about this church, love everything about Cincinnati, uh, except for Skyline. I love it. it does listen, it does not matter what you want to tell me. That is not chili. <laughs> I don't care what you call it. It is not chili. But I love you. I love you. And uh <laughs> Amen. I love y'all. Stop putting cinnamon in your chili though. Amen. Uh, it's always good to see Bishop Buller in the house and, uh, and to watch. You know, every time I see him, his spirit, it, it does something to me. It cheers me up. It doesn't matter what stage of life I'm in. It cheers me up. Amen. Amen. Also, brother and sister Enos in this house and we absolutely, my kids absolutely love them and love their sister Enos's cooking. And uh, so we're very appreciative of that. Uh, also, my friend Luke Levine, who is in this house, and um, I, I love him. And uh, hopefully you never get to see our texts. Uh, <laughs> and the Urshans, they have become family to us, and we absolutely love them. Would you come to me to the book of Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2? The book of Colossians chapter 4 and verse 2. I'm going to read out of the New King James Version of the Bible because I'm a little backslidden. But you guys can read out of that King James Version of the Bible. And the Bible reads as so, continue in prayer. And watch in the same with thanksgiving. Continue in prayer and watch in the same with thanksgiving. Tonight I'd like to speak to you on this subject, contending with God in prayer. Contending with God in prayer. Father, we thank you, O oh Lord, for this special day. And we thank you, Lord, because of what you've already done and what you plan on doing. I pray, O oh Lord, that you would anoint my lips that I may speak the oracles of God as an oracle of God, that your people may hear, but not only hear, that they may perceive your presence in this house. Help me to be honest with the text to bring it forth in a manner that is understandable and that your people will be transformed and changed through your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. God bless you, and you may be seated all over this building. And from your seat, turn to your neighbor and tell him, I love your hairdo tonight. I believe that Christianity should have a profound effect 
on the mouth, on the mouth. See, a person's speech should be greatly altered by the fact that they have been saved and they have been redeemed. The Bible really makes this emphasis. The mouth is emphasized by the Bible more than any other human faculty. The mouth is emphasized in the Bible because the tongue is the best of us and the worst of us. <clears throat> the tongue is the truest indicator of the spiritual condition of a person. What you speak, what comes out of your mouth is the truest indicator of the spiritual condition of a person. As a matter of fact, if you want to know the temperature of someone's Christianity, then you ought to put the spiritual thermometer in their mouth because that is how over and over again the Bible emphasizes that the speech of a man is in direct correlation to what is in his heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Friends, a new man with a new lifestyle means a new mouth with a new conversation. But out of all the conversations that can come out of our mouths, the most important speech that the new man in Christ Jesus will ever utter is the speech of prayer, the speech of prayer. I'm sure that you have developed a certain pattern of prayer in your life. And I'm almost positive here tonight that perhaps you've even found a certain comfort level with how and when you pray. However, I don't think sometimes we understand how vital prayer truly is to our spiritual walk. Prayer is the most important conversation that you will ever have. You see, prayer is the divinely appointed weapon against the sinister attack of the devil and his angels. Prayer is the vehicle of confession of sin. Prayer is the means by which a grateful soul pours out a spontaneous praise before the throne room of heaven. Prayer is the voice of a weeping soul calling on a sympathetic high priest in the time of great trouble and great need. Prayer is the intercession of a concerned Christian who calls on divine resources uh, on behalf of somebody else's struggle. Prayer is the simple conversation of a beloved father and child who care after each other and they talk about love. Prayer is directed at God. It is guided in the will of the Holy Ghost. We are to pray always we are to pray often we are to pray daily lifting up holy hands without strife without fear without any shame with the will of God in mind that is prayer but tonight I want to deal with a very specific aspect of prayer it's a very specific aspect of prayer that Paul deals with here this aspect of prayer is hardly ever talked about in our circles but I believe that it is an important component if we are ever to have any true victory in prayer you see in our text in Colossians 4 and verse 2 the Bible simply says continue in prayer continue in prayer I think if there is an area where we fail in prayer it is found right there in those three words continue in prayer see Paul doesn't just say pray he tells the church in Colossae stay praying persist in prayer continue in prayer the emphasis that Paul is making here is one of perseverance 
And this emphasis here is not an isolated event or an isolated text. It is not found just in this scripture here. It is everywhere in the New Testament. Whether implicitly or explicitly, the New Testament writers wanted you to know that it is important to continue in prayer, to have daily prayer, to persevere in prayer. It reminds me of the verse in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 18 where it says, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. How about 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 17 where it says praying without ceasing. Praying without ceasing. But if you think that's all that, that that's talked about when it talks about continuing prayer how about Luke 21 and 36 where Jesus says watch ye therefore and pray always that you may be accounted worthy to escape all these things or the apostles in the first century church in Acts chapter 6 and verse 4 who said but we will give ourselves continually to prayer continually to prayer or how about Luke when he introduces Cornelius in Acts chapter 10 and verse 2 he was a devout man and one that feared God with all of his household which gave much alms to the people and watch this and prayed to God always pray to God always or what about Paul when he talked to the Philippian church in chapter 4 and 6 be careful for nothing but in everything in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God you see the idea in all of these verses is the same and that idea is continue in prayer stay at prayer persist in prayer persevere in prayer carry on with prayer keep going with prayer don't throw the towel on prayer but keep going and keep praying it is a perseverance that should be done well what what could the bible possibly be saying or referring to when it commands us to persist and to continue in prayer and pray always and pray everywhere you see it is impossible to pray always it is impossible impossible to pray everywhere. It is impossible to pray at all times, so there must be an alternate meaning to this, right? Well, this is what we have done. What we've done is that we have assumed, and rightfully so, that what these verses mean is for us to have a God consciousness so that you see everything that happens in your life in reference to God. God. There's a God consciousness around you. So when the Bible tells you to continue in prayer or to pray without ceasing, what we've said is there's got to be a God consciousness about us. So if you see something, you know, an accident that happens over on the highway somewhere, what is the first thing we do? Because we have a God consciousness, we pray for those involved. Oh God, to help and heal and 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 bring an ambulance soon or if there is anybody that needs your touch right now lord help them along the way because we have a god consciousness or if you see something or experience something good that happens in your life then your god consciousness helps you to pray a prayer of thanksgiving thank you jesus for helping me on this exam thank you jesus because you're a good god Thank you, Jesus, for getting my car out on time. Thank you, Jesus. You know, we have a, a God 
consciousness. And, and th th there's a God consciousness that should be a part of every single day and every single hour. To be frank with you, I absolutely get that. That is the type of life that I live. It, there's a God consciousness there. You get in your car and turn on the radio and something about that song that comes up, it makes you want to start praising. Even while you're going down the highway, you know, people looking at you all crazy, but you don't care. You have a, a certain God consciousness about you. Uh, you know, even at Walmart, you know, there are times when my kids, I don't even realize it because it's second nature to me, but there's times, you know, you're at Walmart getting getting one of those uh, cheddar jalapeno Cheetos and and there's a um, and there's a certain there's a certain song that comes out uh, you know at a certain volume that makes your kids a little uncomfortable they go down to the next aisle when you start singing these kind of songs uh, and you don't realize it but there's just a, a God consciousness about your life uh, a God consciousness about your daily routine it, it's gotten so bad with me you know I, I, I'm, I'm way too saved sometimes and I know that because it's gotten so bad that at Olive Garden when the waitress comes around I'm like thank you sister thank you brother you know as they take my order because there's a certain God consciousness that 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 goes with me wherever I go so I absolutely get that that should absolutely be a part of our lives and no doubt that is part of what the scriptures had in mind however sometimes I also believe that this can be a cop-out sometimes I also believe that this can be a justification for a lack of focus for a lack of you know discipline in our prayer lives we say well we can't possibly always pray so the scripture can't mean to always pray and then we also say well God is not deaf so that doesn't mean pray always and then we also say well God is sovereign he knows all things and he's already determined what's going to happen so it can't mean pray always or God knows what I have need of before I ask him so it can't mean pray always or God is going to call the shots anyway so these scriptures must just mean that we need to be aware of God at all times or we should have a God consciousness about things at all times our text says continue in prayer this is how I know that that text does not mean have a little God consciousness along your day, although that is very important. But that is not what he's talking about. Do you know how I know? Because when I read back and looked in that Greek word for that word continue, that word continue, it comes from a noun that means strong, strong. In this verse right here in Colossians chapter 4, in verse 2 it is in the verb form of that noun which means strong to, to be strong and that word right there is the word kartereo in the Greek kartereo it means to be steadfast it means to endure it means to hang in there that's what kartereo means it means to hold on it means to continue it means to persevere there is a sense of doing it over and over again that's what that word means but can I talk to you here tonight as I was dealing with this word I noticed that there's a, a, a certain little thing that's added to this word the word it means strong and persevere and endure and continue but uh, 
It is not simply cartereo that is used. There was a preposition that was placed in form in, in front of that word. So the word is actually pros cartereo, P-R-O-S, which is which is uh, you know which is said pros pros cartereo. Any time now, I, I took a little Greek in seminary. I'm not a scholar, but I know enough to know this. Anytime you add a preposition in front of a verb or in front of a noun in the biblical Greek, do you know what you're doing? You intensify its significance. So whatever it meant, you better double it. You better, you better make sure to know whatever this meant when I put a preposition in front of it. It means double what it meant before. So anytime you do that, that is intensifying it. So if cartereo means be steadfast, when you say pras cartereo, it means be super steadfast. It means endure to the utmost degree. It means really hang in there. It means that come hell or come a high water, don't you ever stop. You better get a hold of whatever you're doing and you better continue in this thing. It means fight if you have to. It means stay there until you get an answer. That's what prasa cartereo means. It means you better not let go no matter what comes your way. It means it doesn't matter how many darts hell wants to throw your way. You better pras cartereo. Get a hold of God and don't you let go. Continue in prayer. Continue in prayer. It's the idea of being strong in the midst of opposition. You see, the same word was the one that was used in Acts chapter 1 and verse 14. In verse 13, it starts out by saying, And when they were come in, they went up into the upper room where abode both Peter and James and John and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon and, and Jude. Judas, the brother of James, and what happened once they got into that upper room? The Bible says in verse 14, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. Now, can I just tell you, when they got into that upper room, they didn't just get up there for 10 days, and we know it was 10 days, because from the, from the, from the time of the Passover to the ascension it was 40 days and it, at the ascension he told them go tarry ye in Jerusalem and from the time of the ascension until Pentecost it was 10 days and so you have 50 days that's what Pentecost means 50 days so it was 10 days that they were up in that upper room they weren't just there going well let's just have a little God consciousness you know if, uh, if it happens it happens if something just begins to blow, then I guess we'll, we'll, we'll know what the spirit is. No, they tarried in the upper room. They got a hold of God. They continued steadfastly in prayer. Something about somebody said, I don't care if I don't get to go back home in 10 days, but we're going to stay here until the power of the spirit endues us. We're going to stay here until we get an answer from heaven. If it takes us two months, then that's exactly what we're going to do. But we're going to blast it all. This is also the same word that is used in Acts chapter 2 and verse 42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and in breaking of bread and in prayers. The kind of steadfastness, this kind of steadfastness is not talking about a general God consciousness. No, it is talking about a verb, action, something they 
did and held on to. This is talking about a perseverance, a literal continuance in prayer so much so that the translators could not just use one word to describe how to continue. So they had to use both of them. Continue steadfastly. I want you to know it's not just persevering. It's persevering. But it's persevering with a fight in you. It's sassy perseverance. It's get a hold of it and don't let go of it. It's continue steadfastly. Not just a general God consciousness. It's being incredibly strong, actively persevering. However, however, I want to go even deeper on this because this word doesn't just have a sense of continuance. But there's another sense to it, and it's the sense that I want to get to right here. And that is one of being strong and continuing in the midst of opposition. It refers to a struggle. It refers to a fight. It, 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 it kind of had the sense of wrestling or contending in the midst of opposition with issues that are brought before the Lord in prayer that scare you half to death. Issues that everything around you begins to say it can't be done. It won't be done. Issues when circumstances begin to say, ah, we've denied you once. We've denied you twice. We denied you three times and it cannot be done. Nobody else has done it around here. And yet, there is a sense of don't just continue. I want you to get a hold of it. And say, God, did we ever get into something that's way beyond us? Is this something that you know? He said, no, I want to see what kind of faith you're going to have when all opposition comes against you. So you've got to press. One commentator said of that word, the word implies not just continuity. This is a leading Greek commentator. He said the word implies not just continuity, but earnestness. Another commentator, and this is probably the leading Greek commentator or Greek language commentator, and he said of that word, to be courageously persistent. Courageously, per, not just persistent, courageously persistent to hold fast and not to let go. See, courage is the ability to do something that frightens you. That's what courage is. You don't need courage to pray for things you know that are easy. You don't need courage to pray for things you know that whether you pray or not, more than likely it's going to happen. That's not what you need courage for. You need courage when all devils, demons come against you and say it will not happen. It cannot be done. Why do you keep praying? Well, that's when proskartereo means you've got to get enough courage to stand up to God and say, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you how determined I am with my request because it brings glory to you because it is your will because I know from scripture that this is something you want so I'm going to pray and if it takes me all day if it takes me all night I'm going to pray again until I hear from heaven in the book of Luke Chapter 18, there is a story there that I feel gives us a perfect example of what this word is trying to describe. 
I need you to see the strength that is used to describe how steadfast you should be with your prayers. Oh, in Luke chapter 18, starting at verse 1 through verse 6, I read out of the, I think this is the NIV version. And now I'm really, I'm really gone now. Y'all pray for me. It says, then Jesus told his disciples a parable. And I want you to see this. I want you to see this because most times when we read a parable, what happens is that we have to kind of put all the puzzle pieces together and figure out, okay, what does Jesus mean by this? Why is he saying that? That's what a pair, I mean, it, it, it was, uh, you know, this kind of truth that many people didn't understand his word. John 6, 66, a lot of this, his disciples left them because they didn't understand what do you even mean by the things that you're saying, not in this parable. From the outset of this parable, listen to what Jesus said. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable. Watch what Luke tells you to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, I'm going to tell you why I'm going to give this parable to you. I'm going to give this parable so that you know to always pray and to never give up. Verse 2, he said, see, in a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared about what people thought. I, I need you to understand this because there's a, there's, a, there's a purpose for why God wants you to know this judge did not love God nor did he love people. You know why he wants you to? There's a reason Luke wants you to know that this judge did not fear God nor did he care for people because these are the two basic tenets of Christianity. Love God and love people. In essence, what he's telling you is this judge is not a Christian. This judge is evil. This judge is a heathen. This judge is a pagan. He wants you to know that. Then in verse 3 he says, and there was a widow in that town who kept coming, who kept coming who kept coming. Oh, how easily do we give up? How easily do we just say, oh, Lord, you know all things. That's not what this widow did. She said, uh-uh, I've got a petition, and I'm not going to let it go until I get an answer from heaven. So I'm going to keep on coming. I'm going to keep on asking. I'm going to keep on knocking. I'm going to keep on seeking. She kept coming she kept coming to him with a plea grant me justice against my adversary this was her petition someone had done something wrong to her and so she brought it to the judge for his judgment number verse 4 for some time he refused he just would not do it. I don't know how long it was. It doesn't tell us, but it was some time. He just would not do it. But then he says, but finally, he said to himself, even though I don't fear God, nor do I care what people think, I don't love God, and I don't love people. Yet, because this widow keeps bothering me. I wish somebody would take off your silk pajamas in prayer and put on your combat boots when you go before the Lord and say, you know what, oh Lord, I feel like, please don't be annoyed, but I'm coming back. I'm going to ask again. I'm going to knock again. I'm going to bother you again. I'm sorry, Lord, but I've got a need. I've got a petition. I've got a prayer. She keeps bothering me. And he says, I will see that she gets 
justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. He had had enough. Was there a spiritual application to this? Yes, there was. Oftentimes, it wasn't given to us, but Jesus wanted to make sure that they knew. I'm not just talking here in, 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 in little parables that you don't understand. This is too important for you not to understand this principle. So then he tells them what that spiritual application was in verse 6. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him? Watch this. Day and night. Not just a little God consciousness while you're driving down the highway. Not just a little, oh, God, remember what I said. No, he said to those who will come back and will cry out to me day and night. Not just before they go to sleep, a little two-minute prayer, and then they quit. Not just when they get to the house of God, but to those who will come back in the morning and say, oh, God, remember. Remember my plea. Remember my petition. Remember that I've been asking this for a while. And before I go to sleep, I've got to ask you again. I'm sorry if I'm bombarding the gates of heaven, but I've got a petition. I need you to hear me again. And this is what he said. Will he keep putting them off? And now this is where you get these verses. And I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. And in this context is where you get the next phrase. However. When the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Faith is not just, as we hear it often, come out and declare and then go home and thank God for what he's done. That is not what faith is to God. Faith is not just saying, I believe it, I claim it, I, I have it, I, this and that, and God is going. That's not what the type of faith that God is looking for. When the Son of Man comes, the type of faith he's looking for is the kind of faith that is not demanding, but that is desperately asking at his feet I'm coming back and I'm here again and I know you're the only one that is able to hear my plea I know you're the only one so I'm going to grab a hold of you and I'm going to come back and I'm going to knock again and I'm going to ask again Braskartere I'm almost done. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. Oftentimes, we pray the model prayer of Jesus Christ. And then we end there. That's not how the Lord taught them to pray. That is not where he ended. After he said... Forgive us our sins, as we also forgive everyone who sins against us. Lead us not into temptation, for thine is the kingdom, the glory, and the power forever. Amen. Then Jesus said to them, suppose ye have a friend, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. 
I don't have time to explain to you what all that means. I'm, we're, we're running, but, but, but I just want you to know it would have been incredibly troublesome for that man to get up in the first century and to go open up the latch, knock people out in the dark. They didn't have a switch that they could flick and turn on the lights and go to the fridge and open it up and it's a lighted fridge. That's not the way it happened. He would have had to get up, knock all the kids around. They all slept in the same place, out in the dark, on the second floor. The barn is downstairs with all the animals. He would have had to open up the latch. Where the door. That's why he said, don't bother me. Don't bother me. The door is already locked. That door took a while to open up. It wouldn't have been just a little lock like ours. He would have had to open up that latch, come down the ladder with bread and drink in hand to hand and watch out for all the animals in the hay and all the stuff and it was midnight if I heard midnight I'd be like well it's kind of early still in our time and day but they didn't have Fortnite in those days they didn't have Xbox One in those days they didn't have TNT and cable TV they weren't up at midnight it would have been three to four in the morning in our equivalent and he said don't bother me And then he said, I'm in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. But he said, I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. Is there a spiritual application to this? Yes, there is. You asked me, disciples, to teach you to pray, right? So here, this is how you pray. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, the door will be open to you. For which of you fathers, if if your sons ask for a fish, we'll give them a snake instead. Or if he asks for an egg, will you give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven not give you? There's a reason. He wanted you to know that judge was an immoral heathen and a pagan. The reason he wanted you to know that is because if an evil judge will answer a woman because she bothered him, how much more Will a father who's got every hair on your head counted, who dresses lilies and feeds birds, will a father who will not up or withhold any good thing from them who trust him, how much more will a father who gives good gifts to his children, every good gift and every perfect gift, it comes from above, from the father of lights, how much more will not your father, he is a father, he is not just a judge, he is not just an evil man, he is your father. Come on and lift your hands all over this building right now. Come on and lift your hand. I feel like in this house, you need to engage in a little pros cartereo right now. There are some things you need to pray about. There are some things you need to intercede about. There are some things you need to contend with God about. I'm going to be done with this and then we're going to go into a little session or a little time, whatever, whatever Brother Levine feels in his heart. And I'm going to be done with this. When God decided to choose a people through whom he was going to interact with the nations of the world, he named them something. You want to know what he named them? He named them 
Israel. Israel. Names are important to God. He wanted everyone to know the kind of faith I'm looking for in a people. It's going to be the kind of faith that is going to be exemplified by the name of Israel. Do you know what Israel means? It means one who strives with God. One who contends with God. One who doesn't give up easily when every nation around them begins to pour out weapons of mass destruction and begins to pour out missiles of all sorts. I want this people to be steadfast. I want this people to come back to me and say, Pras Cartereo. And you know where that name comes from? It comes from a place where Jacob was about to meet his brother Esau. And there appeared unto him a man that night that began to wrestle with him. We know from later in that in scripture that this wasn't just a man. It was an angel. Can I tell you something right now? Do you really think that an angel was not strong enough to defeat Jacob? This angel, angels, can I tell you something about angels real quick before I'm done? Second Peter 2.11 tells us that angels are greater in might and strength than us. Matthew 28 and 2 it was an angel who removed the stone from Jesus' tomb, a stone that would have taken multiple human beings to move. That's how strong they are. But if you don't believe me, in Acts chapter 5, it was an angel who opened up the prison doors and let the, the apostles out. In First Chronicles, only one angel was sent. It wasn't done, but only one angel was sent to go and destroy the whole city of Jerusalem. One angel in, in the Exodus chapter in, in Genesis 19 and 13 it was just two angels two angels that destroyed the whole cities of Sodom and Gomorrah two angels just did that in Exodus chapter 12 it was the angels who loosed the plagues upon the people of Egypt and one angel the angel of death killed every single firstborn of the people of Israel the people People of Egypt and those that didn't have the door over on their hand post. Can I tell you in 2 Kings, one angel killed more than 185,000 soldiers of the Assyrians. One angel. Do you really think this angel didn't have enough power to beat Jacob? He could have killed him without even looking at him. And yet he wrestled with him. Because he wanted to know, what kind of determination do you have, Jacob? <laughs> I can bless you at any moment, Jacob, but I want to know, how long are you willing to hold on to this? How deeply do you want this blessing? How much more do I have to go before I see what kind of determination? Do you really love what you're asking for? Do you really love my glory to be magnified among the nations like the waters cover the sea? Do you really want me to be glorified in this? Is this just a fly-by-night thing? Is this just something that just happened one night? I want to know how deeply do you want this there's an angel over Cincinnati right now who has seen your cry who has heard your prayers I know there's opposition I know there are things that are against you I know it's going to take a little courage for you to come back and pray again. I know everybody else's plans are being taken to the side and said, uh-uh, this is not going to happen. But I'm going to tell you right now, there's a God in heaven that is saying, how deeply do you want souls to be saved in Cincinnati? How deeply do you want revival in your life? How strongly do you want this? How much money are you willing to spend? How much 
much energy are you willing to expend on this? How far are you willing to go? Is this just a one-year thing? Is this just a one-month thing? Is this just something that you want for your own glory? If you really care about my glory, then you're not going to give up. You're going to hold on. You're going to do everything in your power until I answer from heaven. Come on, lift your hands all over this building. Lift your hands right now. Lift your hands all over this building and lift your voice. Every hand lifted, every hand lifted, every voice raised all across this room right now. Would you lift up your hands and would you lift up your voice? Would you close your eyes and would you begin to call upon the name of the Lord right now in the name of Jesus? He andalabo soto keta yarabaha. Yendalabo soto riakataha. Yendalabo soto rekata yarabahai. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. Brother Diaz has just preached a word. To let us know that while God is not a respecter of persons, he is a respecter of hunger. He is a respecter of desire. And while I was standing there before he began to preach, the Spirit spoke to me and said, Ask my people this question. How bad do they really want it? I didn't know where he was going with that message and where the plane was going to land, but I feel the Spirit speaking to Tree of Life and asking you a question. Hear me. How bad do you really want it? Is it something that we just shout about on Sunday and we pray until the burden lifts in the altar and we go back to our Monday through Saturday routine? Or do you want it bad enough to alter your life according to the promise of God. The man of God said the scripture declares that we ask and we seek and we knock. Can I tell you what God is demonstrating for us is an accelerated level of desire. It's not scriptural redundancy but God is showing us that you ought to get hungry and then when you don't get it you got to get a little hungrier and when it doesn't happen you got to get a little more intense and I feel that level of intensity rising in this place right now and so I'm asking you in the Holy Ghost how bad do you really want to see the word of God fulfilled in your midst there are some that are already in this altar but this altar Kapil is not for everybody you hear me this is not for everybody it's not for everybody but God is looking for the hungry he's looking for the sincere and he's looking for the serious. God is looking for those that are desperate enough to break up, move aside, shove down, climb over anything that is in between you and your miracle. Now hear me, we've got promises of God. I preached about it this morning that are latent over this church right now and we are in a season of opposition you're in a season of opposition to that promise and so the spirit is asking the church through the man of God and through the word of God how bad do you want to see that promise come to pass some of you have promises in your own life that your babies are going to be saved you have promises in your own life that the terminal and debilitating disease that you've been wrestling with your going to be healed for and some of you prayed in the altar this morning and you went back home and took your medicine because you didn't get healed yet and the spirit is asking the church how bad do you really want it do you want it bad enough to wrestle a little bit longer and so right now with heads bowed and eyes closed all across this room 
Just as Jacob had an identity change in the middle of his wrestling match, some of you are going to have a Christianity change in the middle of your wrestling match tonight. And so this altar is for the hungry. This altar appeal is for the thirsty. This altar appeal is for those that are absolutely beside yourself, desperate for an answer. If it doesn't matter to you whether you go home with the same dilemma you walked in with, uh, then you might want to pray in your seats. Uh, but right now, I'm making an appeal under the authority of the Holy Ghost uh, to anyone and everyone uh, that is absolutely ate up uh, with a desire to see the miraculous uh, in your life. Uh, and if that describes you, you ought to run to this altar as quick as you can get here, and you ought to lift up your voice. Uh, you ought to get on your face if you can. Lift up your hands and somebody begin to go after God with an abandon. Somebody begin to lift up your voice like nothing else matters. Come on, lift up your voice to the... Yeah, look at that. Not everybody can even get to this. Come on, get in as close as you can. Fill in as close as you can. Step as close, as near as you can. Don't you wait for somebody to come lay hands on you right now. If you're hungry, you don't need somebody to lay hands on you. If you're desperate, you don't need the prophet or the preacher to speak a word over you. You ought to go to wrestling right now. You ought to do what the preacher preached right now. Come on. Don't wait for music. There's not going to be any. Don't wait for a prophet to lay hands on you. It may not happen. But lift up your voice and go to battle in the spirit. Come on, wrestle in the Holy Ghost. We got people receiving the Holy Ghost down here. We got people speaking in tongues for the first time right now. The miraculous is in this building. 